Well, good morning. Will you please open your Bibles to Psalm 43? We're going to be looking at this psalm just as you saw in the video there. And as you're turning there, on a cheerful note, I hope you're enjoying your summertime. You enjoying your summertime? I don't know. It doesn't really sound like that. But um, I hope you are. I love summertime. It's one of my favorite times of the year. I love the hot weather. Uh, I feel probably like that face right there, smiling about the hot weather. Probably some of you guys are like that face right there, angry. So you may not like the summer. Uh, you may like the winter more so, but I love the summer. It's my favorite time of the year because I get to go down to the beach. And that is one of my favorite places to go. Uh, that is my happy place. It may not be your happy place because you don't like the sand and all that type of stuff. Uh, everyone has their own happy place. Uh, but it's one of my favorite places because I get to go surf. And that's one of my favorite things to do, uh, to go down surfing, whether it's in Ocean City or LBI. In fact, this was Ocean City last week. Nah, just kidding. Just kidding. It was not like that. Uh, it can get big, but that is actually Mavericks. That's a place in Northern California. Uh, huge waves. It doesn't even show you the bottom of that, uh, that wave there. Um, but you have their freezing cold weather, uh, which is why he's wearing that wetsuit. You have great white sharks that are always swimming around there. You have a rocky bottom, so if you wipe out, you're going to be close to the rocks. And you have tons of water dumping on you if you fall. And it's about the weight of like 300 cars. That's a happy place, right? You want to go there? Um, I'm not sure if I would want to do that. I don't think I would want to surf something like that. But when we were in uh, high school, I don't really do this now, but in high school and, and maybe college there, when a hurricane would come around to Ocean City, we knew that was big surf. There was going to be big waves. And so we would go out around the hurricane surf, and we would get out there, and it was rough, and it was uh, dangerous. Don't tell my mom, please. Uh, but it was dangerous, and it was rough, and you can get pulled under if you wipe out. And that's one of the most scariest things, because I remember certain times you getting pulled under, and 15 seconds can feel like 15 minutes. You are gasping for air. You don't know up from down because you're getting tossed all around. And you're wondering if I come up to get a, you know, get some air, am I going to then get pummeled by another wave coming? And then you're wrestling with this whole mental state of, I'm going to drown. I'm going to drown. Even when sometimes the leash is wrapping around your neck or something like that. You know, I share that because life can be like that sometimes. Life can feel like it's pulling us under. A week can feel like a month. A month could feel like a year. You're being tossed all around. You don't know up from down. You feel like you're gasping for air. You feel like you're drowning. And in fact, Psalm 42, 7, the psalm preceding Psalm 43, he actually writes... Your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He's describing this feeling of being submerged and pulled under and gasping for air. And even would say, God, your breakers and your waves, you're allowing this to happen. Why are you letting this happen? Feeling that way. And life can feel like that. And we can go through a range of emotions. 
sadness or anger or confusion. And we're not sure if we're really truly connecting to God in the midst of that. Well, I don't know about you, but I really want to connect with God. That's our even mission. Part of our mission statement here is we want you to connect with God. We all, I hope, want to connect to God. But I know in my life and in the scriptures how important it is to be honest to God about the condition of my heart and soul in order to connect with God. It's essential. I need to be honest to God about my heart, my soul. That's why we're calling this series Honest to God as we go through the Psalms. We need to be honest to God about how we're feeling. Because sometimes we get caught up in giving the dishonest face to God. And even to each other here in the church. So you may be giving this no worries face. That's what I call that. You know, the guy sticking his tongue out with one eye. But really, you're feeling like that. Panicked. Or you may be thinking, I gotta show love to God. I need to be raising my hands here right now during worship. But really, you're feeling like this inside. You're being pulled under and you feel angry. Or you may be like, okay, I just will fake everyone out and maybe even God by giving a smiley face. But really, you're sad. You're down in the dumps. You're grieving. And I know I could start to wonder, is God, is, is he okay with me saying this? Feeling this way? Or you can start to wonder, is, does that mean I don't have faith in God? Am I even a Christian if I'm feeling this way? Or is God going to punish me? Or is he going to be angry with me if I'm feeling like this? I felt that way. I'm sure some of you have felt that way too. Well, did you know in the Psalms that 45% of the Psalms are a lament? Not necessarily praise, lament. Lament being you're pouring out your grief, your confusion, your sadness to God. 45% of the Psalms are written as laments. And the Psalms exist in the Bible. God gives it to you and I, the Psalms, to help us process our emotions in a relationship with God. Like, how do we do that? The Psalms gives us instruction on how to do that. And Psalm 43 is one of those Psalms, a Psalm of lament, instructing us that when life is pulling us under and you feel these range of emotions, we need to honestly hope in God. Honestly hope in God. Now, some of you are kind of like, yeah, you're saying that. That sounds so easy to say. It sounds so very cliche to say. Hope in God. You don't know that I'm drowning in debt. I'm drowning in grief. I, 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 I'm facing a divorce that I'd never really wanted. I have a kid that's, I, that is rebelling even though I've been showing them love and grace. I may not be able to understand exactly that situation you're going through. Some of them I probably can identify with. But I know that this psalm was very instrumental to my life when I went through a period of depression. I've shared that before in a, a different sermon. I'm not going to go over it all again. But you could feel the weight. It feels like a 300-pound man sitting on your chest. You can't breathe. It's dark. It feels in your soul. And you feel like you can't get out of bed. I don't wish it upon anyone. But this Psalm 43 was so instrumental 
to God pulling me out and helping me through that. So let's look at this. How do we honestly hope in God when life is pulling us under? So let me read first the psalm in its entirety. You follow along. And then let's pray and ask God to help us learn here how to honestly hope in him. Start in verse 1. Read along with me. And listen to the emotion that's coming out from him. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I'll praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray together. God, give us hope in you. That can only come from you. So God, give us understanding. Thank you for giving us the Psalms so we can learn how to just process even those emotions that we're feeling and know how to have a relationship with you, a healthy one, honestly connecting with you, God. So even in the midst now, as we get into your word and you teach us, help us to be real before you, God. Speak now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So when life is pulling you under, honestly hope in God. How? This is what the psalm teaches us how. To pour out, seek out, and find out. Pour out, seek out, find out. Let's look at all, each of those. The first thing he teaches us here is pour out your emotion to God. Verses 1 and 2 describes the situation that he's going through. He says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. Those are pretty strong words. It's probably written during the time of exile. We're not exactly sure, but more clues lead to the fact that this is probably was written during the time of exile. If you don't know what that is in the history timeline of the nation of Israel, well, if you know this, God was going to bring his rescue plan to the world through a select group of people, the nation of Israel. And he gave them a way for them to connect with him. And he gave them promises. He brought them into a land. He was going to make them a, a distinct group of people. But they continued to be unfaithful, even when God was faithful to them. And repeated times, God gave them warning, would be faithful, gave warning through the prophets, and he would be faithful, but they continued to be unfaithful. And finally, where it was like, okay, the only way you're going to learn this is allowing you just to go the way that you want to go. And sure enough, they do. And nations come in and conquer them. In particular, fast forward down the line, in 586 BC, the Babylonian Empire comes in, takes the nation of Israel to Babylon, and they are in exile. I share that because you've got to imagine where, where he is right now. Taken from his homeland in a place that's not familiar to him, in a place that other people speak in another language. Can you imagine going to a foreign country, being taken away? And he's facing 
people where he says that are ungodly, deceitful. He's being deceived. Someone's treating him unjustly. Whether this is the people in his own group of people, the Jewish community, or not, the people in exile, we don't know. But what's interesting to point out is that his hardship, he's feeling pulled under because of his interaction with people. And a lot of times, we feel sucked down in life, not just because of some abstract evil that we're facing. It could be some disease. It could be some natural catastrophe. Something happened. But a lot of times, it's from our interaction with people. And you could have, let's say, it's a husband and wife arguing. Parents and children. Parents wanting the children to see what they see, children want to say, you don't understand. It could be a friend having a conflict, working relationships. You think your boss is an idiot. Or it could be church relationships even. That happens. You get in, we get into conflict. And we, it could just suck the life from us or feel like we're just drowning in it. It's interesting to note that it is because of people. Now, sometimes those hardships and, and those problems and that conflict is there because of our own stupidity, our own boneheaded choices and things that we've said and things that we've done. We've caused it. We own up to it. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes we're treated unjustly. Sometimes we're treated deceitfully. And it hurts. And that's probably what's happening here with him. But listen to what he's wrestling with when those things happen. He says in verse 2, For you are the God. I'm asking these things from you, God. And he, he says, Because you're the God in whom I take refuge. And he says, Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. He's saying, God, I believe in you. I trust you. I'm turning to you. But it feels like you rejected me. It feels like you're not there. It feels like I'm wandering around and you're nowhere to be found. I'm going through day by day and I can't see you. Have you felt like that? You say, yes, I believe everything that Scripture tells me. I believe that God exists. I believe. But it feels like He's rejecting me. It feels like he's not there. He's being very honest about the condition of his heart. And I want to make this point. If you have felt like that and you're feeling that now, feeling that way does not necessarily mean you don't have faith. It does not necessarily mean that you're not a Christian. Sometimes it may, but it may not. If you are in a place of grieving and lamenting and you feel these faces in your heart, it doesn't mean necessarily that you don't have faith in God. It's okay. In fact, lament and grief are a crucial part of faith in a broken world. They're a crucial part of growing in your faith in God in this broken world. And that's the key. We live in a broken world. It's everyone's story. It affects us all. And it wasn't really meant to be this way. 
This brokenness that you and I experience in this world wasn't necessarily meant to be this way. You see, God created you and I to be in a perfect relationship with him, created actually his space and our space to overlap. The Bible speaks of that as heaven and earth. Heaven being God's space, earth being our space. Think of it like two circles overlapping. In fact, that's what the Garden of Eden was all about, was heaven on earth. God with man. And perfect unity and harmony. God and man, man to each other, to the world. It's wonderful. But we chose to define right and wrong our own way. We chose to do things and not really trust God that his way is right. We still do that today. You see that in our own heart. And that led to a separation where God's beauty and truth and justice could not mix with our sin and our ugliness and our evil. The just two could not mix. Now God has a plan to restore that. But in the meantime, you and I need to face up and not be in denial that the fact this world is broken. And we will face it. And it's okay to pour your emotion out to God like the psalmist does here. He's being very real and honest. Now, I can remember, there's simple ways to do this. I remember doing this in the midst of depression by writing out what I was feeling, what I was thinking. So I could really see it in front of me. Because sometimes it could be confusing, everything that you're thinking and feeling. The psalmist does that. The whole reason why we have these psalms is because he wrote it out. And we should do the same. It's helpful when you write it out, you journal it out. But there's other ways you could do this in pouring out your emotion to God. It could be even maybe you go take a walk in the woods or something and you talk out loud to God. I've done that too before. I just make sure no one else is around so they don't think I'm crazy or something like that. But I'll go for a walk and I'll just talk to God and pour out my emotion, whatever it is I'm feeling and thinking. Not being afraid of what he might think or can I say this? What will he think of me? No, just being real and honest that way. And for others, it may be the fact that to pour out your emotion to God, you might need to actually talk to another person. And that's perfectly fine too. That's what even our small groups, hopefully that you experience in that environment, within a small group, is that you're able to be honest before God and you could share that with someone else that you know they're going to give godly advice. They're not going to judge you in some way. They're going to be gracious and understanding that this is the brokenness that we all experience in this world. There's ways for you and I to do that. But in the same breath, when you pour out your emotion to God and you be raw and honest and real before him, you also need to be turning to God and seeking out his place. In the same breath, when you pour out your emotion to him, we need to be seeking to be with him. This is what the psalmist does in verse 3 when he says this. Send out your light and your truth let them lead me. He pours out his emotions to God, but now turns to God. Not away from God, but turns to God and says, send out your light and your truth. Now, light is used a lot of times in the Bible as a, a metaphor for many different things. In this case here, it's about guidance. He's saying, let, send out your light, your truth. Lead me. Let them lead me. Guide me. 
We could think about in our modern day world too, light is used often for guidance as well. If you think about a plane landing at night on a runway, you see those lights, right? Telling the plane where to land. Land over here, don't land over there. This is where you'll be safe. Over here, you're going to face the truth that you're going to crash. Or you can think about a boat and a lighthouse. A lighthouse sending out the light to a boat and to the captain saying, be careful, the rocks here, there's land here, especially if it's nighttime, and you don't want to go over there because the truth is you'll crash, you'll sink. Or if you see these lights in your rearview mirror, it's telling you the truth, you're in trouble, pull over. Um, hopefully you haven't experienced that. Light is sent out to guide. And the, when we're being pulled under and we're feeling these emotions, we're asking God, guide me, lead me. Send out your light and truth. I don't know up from down. I don't know what decision I should make. I don't know what I should do tomorrow. And we're asking for his guidance. But listen and look at where that guidance leads us and should lead us. The psalmist says this in verse 3, continuing. He says, Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Take notice where the light is to lead him. To his holy hill. To God's dwelling. What is that? What he's talking about is the temple. During the nation of Israel, their time, the place for them to meet with God was in the temple. Remember those two circles again. God made a way for them to interact with him and connect with him even though they were sinful and ugly and, and, and the injustice and the evil and God's beauty. A way for that to happen was through this system of the temple and where there was a sacrifice of an animal, a lamb. I know that sounds really weird to us today, but where that lamb would take and absorb all our sin and our ugliness and our injustice and evil and create a clean space for God's holiness and his truth and beauty and for us to overlap and to meet with him and dwell with him. That was the temple to be in his presence. And that's what he's longing for. He's longing for that. He's in exile and he's like, I, I want to meet with you, God. And that's why this is so important. I bring that up because he's certainly asking God for help. Guide me, lead me, vindicate me, defend my cause. There's people that are treating me harshly. But notice his primary request. His primary request is God. To be with God. To know him. To be in his presence. Is that your primary request? Certainly, certainly ask God all that you need to ask. But is there also that request to know him and to be in his presence no matter what happens? No matter what happens. Because we don't want to move away from God when we pour out our emotion, but turn to God and move closer to him in the midst of that. Now the good news for you and I is we don't obviously go to a temple, right? This is not a temple. We don't go to a temple to meet with God. The good news for you and I is that Jesus is the temple. God has sent out his light and truth through Jesus. 
And so if you want to seek God and meet God and be in God's place, heaven and earth overlapping, it's to be with Jesus. Jesus is the temple. Amen? This is what we live in now today. And so if you're seeking out God and you're saying, God, I, I, I want to be in your place, you seek Jesus. You seek Jesus. You seek out Jesus. Now, what does that even look like? Because I know that sounds so Christian-like, you know, lingo. Seek Jesus. Where is he? I don't see him. I see you. How do you seek Jesus? It's, it's not really revolutionary. What does that even look like, seeking Jesus? It's what you guys are doing even right now. You're listening to the word. You're gathering together to worship. Talk with each other and fellowship with each other. Take communion when we take communion together. It's at home, reading in, your word, in the word, praying to him, journaling. It's, it's even getting into small groups and reading the Bible together and, and talking with each other about your life. We've been doing this for over 2,000 years. Theologians and Christians call this spiritual disciplines. We don't really like that term sometimes because it sounds harsh, discipline. But it's instruction, it's teaching, it's forming and shaping us. And the beauty is that Jesus promised to send his Holy Spirit to you and I, which we have. And he says he will cooperate with you and I when we seek out Jesus this way and doing these things. His Holy Spirit reminds us of his presence. It's like this picture here you'll see where it's, it's like Jesus, the Holy Spirit connects us and points us always to Jesus. It's like the floodlight of a house. The floodlight, you don't look at the floodlight, right? The floodlight makes you aware of the house. The Holy Spirit does that when we practice these spiritual disciplines and these practices. He makes us aware of his presence. It reminds me a little bit about the boy who went out to fly a kite. And he, he went out to fly a kite and it was cloudy, uh, but there's still enough wind. And he let loose of the kite and went uh, up into the sky and, and it got covered by the clouds. You couldn't see the kite anymore. An old man walks by and says, what are you doing? The boy says, oh, I'm flying a kite. And he says, well, how do you know it's even there? It's up in the clouds. And the boy says, well, every now and then, I feel tug at the string. And it reminds me that the kite is there. The same is with the Holy Spirit. You may not be able to see Jesus, but when you do these things, the Holy Spirit tugs at your heart, reminds you of who Jesus is, reminds you that he's there, reminds you of what he's done and his promises. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But sometimes we don't really feel that. And sometimes we're doing even these things and we kind of think, well, I am going to church. I am in a small group. I am reading my Bible. I am praying. I'm trying. I'm, but I don't sense his presence. I still feel this way. And that's normal. And that's why the psalmist tells us his next instruction here. To find out what story you're believing. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Do you realize the question of why has now changed? It's no longer, why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? It's now he's pointing to himself and he's asking himself and he's saying, why are you cast down? 
soul. We don't speak like that. But he's saying, what's going on? What's the story that you're believing? It's not about looking at the feeling. Don't focus on correcting the feeling. Focus on correcting the believing. There's something there that you're believing that is causing these emotions, and we need to self-examine. There's no person I think does this better than D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a preacher and writer. He's with the Lord now, but he was amazing at using the scalpel of God's Word and his words and together and just helping you understand why are you feeling the way you are. And he wrote this book, Spiritual Depression, It's Causes and Cure. I've referenced this before, but it's unbelievable. It's awesome. And he actually talks about this fact of don't focus on the feeling. Don't try to correct the feeling. Feelings will come. It will solve itself. Focus on the believing. What are you believing? And so he says that a lot of times we're in this condition of spiritual depression or these emotions that we feel sometimes for a number of reasons. Uh, first, he says, it's, it's usually it could be our temperament. That's just the way we are. Some of us are like Eeyore. You know? We just go around like, Oh, it's just going to be like this. Nothing's going to change. Some of us are like that. I understand that. And some of you guys are on the opposite side. So positive, your pants are on fire, but you don't care. You think it's the greatest experience in the world. But, you know, hopefully we're somewhere in between. But there's different temperaments all of us have. So sometimes someone's going to be wrestling with something, and you're kind of like, why are they wrestling with that? That's dumb. Have patience with them. We're all of different temperaments. They're having patience with you because they think you don't see anything correctly. So we all have different temperaments. Sometimes it also could be we're feeling this way because of our physical condition. We're, we, we're just out of shape. Uh, and it, the serotonin in our minds, you know, our brains is off. Uh, we are eating too much. We're drinking too much. We are not taking care of our bodies and exercising. We're a body-soul unit. And what we do with the body affects the soul. What, the soul, what we do with the soul affects the body. And sometimes those things just squeeze on us and makes the situation even worse. And that might mean you need to exercise. I remember having to do that when I was uh, going through a period of depression. I needed to exercise, and that helped. It wasn't the solution, but it was helpful. Because the, solu the ultimate cause is an unbelief. And that's what Martin Lloyd-Jones writes about. And he says this uh, about this unbelief. And the prescription is to talk to yourself. And he says this. Listen to what he says. The ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. That is why this psalmist keeps on saying to himself, Psalm 43, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. He reminds himself of God. Why? Because he was depressed and had forgotten God. So that his faith and his belief in God and in God's power and in his relationship to God were not what they ought to be. I say that we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Do you realize what that means? I suggest that the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. You must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God is, what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. It's a matter of unbelief. It's a matter of looking at what story are you believing? Because it's so easy for us to drift. 
We could believe these things, but deep down, what story are you really believing? It's easy for us to drift. I'm, I'm teaching—well, not teaching anymore. I, my second daughter now has her license, so I have two drivers on the road. Look out. No, they're pretty good drivers. But I remember being in the car with one of my daughters who's just got her license, and, and I hope she was realizing, because I was realizing, as soon as she took her eyes off the road, she started to drift and just follow wherever her eyes were going. And I'm trying to, like, you know, hit on the brake pedal that's not there and existent. Um, and that's why we hear that phrase, right? Keep your eyes on the road. Because we know that where our eyes are directed, we start to follow. Some of you guys are really good, and you can do that. But eventually, if our eyes are not on the road, we're going to crash. And the same with the eyes of our heart. And looking at what story are we believing? Where are our eyes? Are they on the road of truth? On the road of the story that God has given to you and I that we're all a part of? What story are you believing? Do you realize that this is a broken world? Do you realize that there's a brokenness in you as well? You can pour out your emotion to God. You don't need to pretend and be fake. You could be genuine. You can give him that face. You don't have to pretend and give him a loving face. That will come, but if you're angry, talk about it. You don't need to put on the smiley face and be hypocritical. You could be honest and be sad. Because we live in a broken world. That's the story we're all a part of. But we do have hope. And we can honestly hope in God because there's part of the story is the fact that Jesus is the light and truth for you and I. That God has done something to rescue us from this wickedness, from this world, even to allow us to endure in the midst of this because he sent Jesus the light, the truth, Seek out Jesus. Do you believe that part of the story? Are you seeking him or are you just seeking to try to fix, to get out of the situation that you're in? Are you ultimately looking for Jesus? What story are you believing? Because, you know, the beauty of this story, where I shared to you in the beginning that heaven and earth existed in the Garden Eden, overlapping like this, God's place, our place together, no more disease, no sickness, no suffering, none of that evil there in this world. Well, that's coming. Jesus has made it possible in his resurrection, and he is going to come again, and he is going to restore heaven on earth. It's not the fact that we get to go to heaven is the good news. That's great, but that's not the final goal. In fact, you won't even find in Scripture anywhere where it says you get to go to heaven when you die. You will be in his presence, but that's not the beauty and the, and the thing that we are longing for. Revelation shows us it's a new heavens and new earth. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. We can experience it now with his presence, but it's coming. Heaven and earth overlapping. God's space and our space together. That is good news. There's brokenness now, but there won't be any brokenness ever more again. And Jesus is coming. Are you believing that as part of your story? Are you talking to yourself about that part of the story? We need to honestly hope in God by pouring out our emotion, seeking out God's place, and finding out what story you're believing.
Because when we do this, guys, we can be light to the world. When we honestly hope in God, you and I can be light to this broken world that is looking for hope and finds it in all the wrong places. We can be genuine. We don't have to be fake. This is what the world needs. And when Jesus says that you are the light of the world, that the same light that he shows to you and I, that we can show that same hope to others by not trying to put on a fake face, but honestly showing where our hope is anchored and where we're hoping, even though we experience this brokenness. The world desperately needs that. That's together us as a church, guys. That's what we all long for. I get excited about that because here in Medford, Marlton, Mount Laurel, I don't know if you, it looks like there's no brokenness, but there's brokenness. And when we get a part of that mission of realizing that when we hope in God this way, that he's going to use us, it takes even the eyes off of ourselves and our woes and our worries and reminds us and allows us to see God and who he is. And that's what we need. Guys, this world needs hope. And it starts with us honestly hoping in God. So, it would be wrong if I didn't close with us actually doing that. Having a time where you and I could pause and do exactly what this psalmist is instructing us to do. So will you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to ask the team to come out. And they're going to be just playing in the background. And this is your time to seek God. To be real before him. To pour out that emotion. You don't need to be fake about it. And some of you are in pain and hardship right now, and this is exactly what you need. And some of you, everything's going okay right now. That's all right. Maybe pray about the person that you know that is going through that. Maybe it's a person in your small group. But we're going to take this time just to come honestly before God. And while the music plays, while you're thinking, just pour it out to him. If there's sadness, if there's anger, if there's grief, God knows. Use the time just to pour it to him. with these honest feelings that you're pouring out to God turn to him not away seek him how seek Jesus maybe there is a scripture passage you read this morning or from earlier this week recall that the truth the promises 
who Jesus is. Listen to that tug on your heart. I'll give you the time to do that now. said, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Knowing what you know about Jesus. Ask yourself, why am I this way? What am I believing that I have not been believing about who God is, what he's done, what he promises? What are some of those false stories that either God doesn't love me or he'll reject me or I need to measure up some way. Those are some false stories. Turn to him now and just do some self-examination. Why is my soul cast down? Continue to pray. The team's going to lead us in a song. And if you just need more time, you could just bow your head and listen. Speak with God. Just continue to talk with Him. As we were reminded earlier, it's a conversation with Him. He wants to connect with you. But let me pray before they sing. God, Thank you for being in this place. We know you're here. Thank you for being faithful. You're king of the universe, but Lord, we know that you could be our king over our heart. And if in this moment what we started now and pouring out our emotion to you and seeking you, God, may we just continue to do that outside of these walls and not just here on a Sunday morning, but honestly hoping in you, God. And whether we are sad or whether we're happy, whatever emotion we're feeling, we can sing a song to you. You give us a reason to sing because you have sent out your light and your truth. You have given us hope when we could not find any. And you've shown us the promises that you will heal this brokenness that we feel now and even in this world. So we cling to you. In Jesus' name, amen.